Hello. Oh, hey, John. Hi there, Dan. How's everything going in Seattle? Oh, pretty darn good. I was just on the phone with Jason Finn, and he said to send his regards. Oh, and yeah, Jason Finn. How's he doing? He's doing good. He, uh, we were talking about some lo- local restaurants that are uh, that are on the skids. Are one of Seattle's kind of uh, main, like affordable French restaurants, Cafe Press, is apparently going out of business. And because uh, of you COVID know, or just a natural? Well, I mean, what isn't because of COVID right now? I would, I would I guess, know. right? The owner, uh, Jim, and his partner, they've always been, um, they've always had their own way of doing things. They own another restaurant downtown called Le Pichet. Mm-hmm. And they were the one, you know, they brought a little, they brought the croque monsieur to the city, you know, a little bit of a baked chicken vibe and, and, good wine but press was the one where all the i don't know it was where the stranger newspaper staff all had their lunch it was just a it was just a nice place you get a good coffee you get a little breakfast and but he's always had some strong opinions about things and i think covid probably it's a very popular restaurant but i think you know like you say damn everything is covid COVID, 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 yeah. COVID. You know what I've been hearing a lot now, and I don't know if you've you've probably noticed this, but I think they did it in a subtle way, is that there's been a shift from, they used to report on deaths, hospitalizations and deaths. Yeah. And over time, as predicted, they have shifted from hospitalizations and deaths to infections. How many people are sick? How many people are reporting sickness? They used to report that vector also, but now that's the only one that I'm really hearing. And I'm I'm not sure. I, I mean, it could be because that's just what they want to talk about as they are trying to get people to be vaccinated. Or if there's, you know, another, if there's other thinking, like maybe, you know, here, maybe people aren't dying anymore. And now they're just in being infected or the, you know, and, and the other thing that's weird about it is I, I was just reading this, especially about the Omicron variant, which is apparently highly contagious and very mild mm-hmm. um, that people are like some huge percentage. Was it, did I read, was it 40% of people who get it have no symptoms, whether they're vaccinated or not have no symptoms. And I'm like, well, how are they finding out that they even have it? And so apparently they're finding out in one of three ways. They're either mandated to get tested. And so they just go and get tested. And they're like, I felt fine, but they said I had it. Or they are exposed to someone, on, although they feel fine because they've been exposed to somebody, they've got to go get tested. So they do. And they found out that they have it, but they're symptomless. And the third is that uh, some people apparently are just um, testing themselves regularly and finding that they have it, even though they have no symptoms to it. And then reporting it to an agency? That seems Well, I think un- that the unlikely. places that do the testing are mandated to report it. Oh, sure, sure. So sure. they're reporting it. It's not that the individual then like turns it in, turn, files their form at the office. I think it's like auto-submitted. Like a positive test is a positive test. It goes into the database. Right. However, right, right. that all works. I don't know, but it, 
That's weird. And I also read a thing, I've read multiple things that says even people who are vaccinated and even people who have the booster are still, they're probably still going to get it. It uh, The booster doesn't necessarily keep you from getting it, but that if you get it, you'll have no symptoms or mild symptoms. Then I read another article that says it doesn't, the vaccinations and the booster doesn't necessarily protect you from the long COVID. It, it helps maybe 50%. So of the people who are going to get the long COVID, 50% of them won't get the long COVID because the vaccination. It's hmm. just, and you know, I, I, I definitely get the, my own vibe on this, especially about the booster is like how many boosters are we going to need? And at, at, at what point, if any, you know, the only thing is this, I feel like the COVID that's out there now, everything they're talking about it with this Omicron, everything they're saying about the Omicron is that it's super mild. That's the only thing I'm ever hearing about it. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe they're going to find out it's not mild. Maybe it causes brain cancer. I don't know. But they're saying right now, the latest thing I read this morning, mild, especially if you're vaccinated. But you can still get it if you're vaccinated. You can still get it if you get the booster. And it doesn't necessarily protect you from long COVID. So- like that's the only thing that I at this point I'm I would be worried about for me with with being vaccinated. I'm not worried I would go to hospital per se, but I don't want that long COVID. That's horrible. That sounds like it'd be terrible. Cognitive problems for months, years, forever. That sucks. I don't want that. But then you get there. Well, you go get a booster then. Okay, but you just told me that the booster may or may not work. And may or may not prevent the long COVID. So is it better than nothing? Well, it's better than nothing only because they don't know. Have you, you not had your booster, Dan? No, I haven't been able to schedule it. I'm actually scheduled for it uh, for tomorrow. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, but I haven't had it yet because it, it's like really it for up until last week, it was impossible. Like, and you would have to drive a long distance to get it. And then I'm reading it. It doesn't matter anyway. So like, I, I don't know how often, how many times we're going to have to get a booster. We're going to have to get one every couple months, every six months. Now we're going to get a booster for something that may or may, it may or may not help. And, um, Do you get a flu shot every year. No, I never get the flu shot ever. Oh, you don't No, oh. never because mm-hmm. I used to, when I was younger and, uh, frequently still got the flu and yeah. felt horrible for days after the flu shot. And I said, you know what? No, I'm just going to, but the other thing is this. Mm. I've had the flu. I know yeah. what the flu is like. It's horrible. But yeah. you know what? It's not it's not the end of the world. I'm not immune compromised. No. So if I get the flu, like it's gonna suck for a week or so, but I've had it, I know it, and it's not gonna kill me. Right. And there's no one walking around saying, Oh, the flu's gonna kill you. It, it, and that's that that to me, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of taking some kind of preventative measure for something I know how to deal with. I know I'll just deal with the flu. If I get the flu, it sucks. I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing that, that they say about the COVID is the long COVID. If, if I just got COVID, let's say you just get COVID and you're mm-hmm. not going to the hospital and you're not getting long COVID. I wouldn't get anything for, I wouldn't get a vaccination for it or anything. I would just be super careful. I would be by myself. And if I was around other people, I would mask, I would wear the N95 mask. So I don't, Potentially, because I understand the attitude of people who are like, oh, you don't care about yourself, but you could get it and infect other people. I would not want to infect other people. Like I'm, I'm aware of that. 
So I would yeah. do what I needed to do if it was just me that I was worried about. But now that you bring in the other person things, that's a factor. That's why they want you to get the vaccination in case you get it and you're sim- you don't have symptoms. You're walking around. You're a ticking time bomb. You're going to infect all the other people. Those people are immune compromised. They get sick. That's the thinking of that. So I understand why you do. But if it was just for me, if it was just for me, John, Mm. I'm not worried about getting the regular COVID. No, you're worried about spreading it to other people. I'd be worried about getting um, getting the long COVID. You're strong. I mean, I'm not. I'm not worried about the flu. It's not going to kill me. Oh, I hate the flu. It's the worst. Yeah, it's the worst. Well, you know, I used to feel like the Do way you have to, your booster, John. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and you know, the way to get a booster, at least around here was I just went in and walked up to the pharmacy in the grocery store where there was no line, nobody, no, nobody there. And I was like, hey there, I don't suppose you've got uh, those booster shots. And they were like, yep. And I said, doesn't seem like there's anyone standing around here waiting. And they were like, nope. And I said, this is one of those where you, if I went online to schedule it, I wouldn't be able to get in. But I'm standing here. You got a booster for me? And they were like, sure, come around the thing. And I was like, great. While I'm here, you got the flu shot too? And they were like, we do. I said, why don't you double me up? Give me, give me one each. One in the left arm, one in the right. And they just did it. And this was. So wait, this this, was, they, they, they did that. Oh yeah. And this was only like two weeks after the boosters even came out. So my feeling is like the online scheduling, like, so for instance, yesterday, so I've been feeling a little bad. I've mm. got a scratchy throat. I got fatigue, my mm. joints ache so much so that I canceled a uh, recording with Ken this week because, mm. you know, he goes back and forth to California. He takes probably five COVID tests a week. And I was like, look, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me, but I don't want to get you sick. Mm-hmm. Cause y'all so record to- in the same room together. Oh yeah. We sit across the table from each other and, and he actually brought me yesterday. He brought me a uh, home test, like a, mm-hmm. like a one you take at home. But so I went online and I scheduled a COVID test for yesterday. And it was like, okay, 4.30 is your slot. Get there within a 20-minute window. So I wait all day for my 4.30, 20-minute window. I get in the car. I drive over there. And I get there. And there's a huge line of people all standing in the rain in front of a trailer out in a parking lot of a community college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, you know, up until now, I've been going through this, the drive-through here, where which has been great. You drive in, they stick a thing in your nose, you're sitting in your car, and then you drive away, and two days later, they send you the results. Mm-hmm. Now I'm standing in the rain, so I said, there's a cop standing there. And I said, I, I had a 4.30 appointment. Do all 75 of these people have a 4.30 appointment? And he said, no, the thing's all screwed up. They make you make an appointment, but also you can just walk up. And I said, really? So I could have just, I didn't have to wait all day. I could have just showed up here at 10 o'clock in the morning and it would have been, and it was sunny at 10 in the morning. He was like, yeah, there's no system. Now that's not true of Seattle, but I was getting this done in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. So I stand out in the rain and I get this 
rapid COVID test. And they said that if I had COVID, they were going to call me mm. on the phone, mm-hmm. on the phone. And so today I've already received two phone calls from unlisted numbers that I've answered. Oh. Which I wouldn't normally do. No. Both times it turned out to be something that I was I was glad I answered. One it was a landscaper, the other was a fence company. I was like, oh great. Glad I answered the phone. Yeah. But I haven't yet gotten my results back. Well Oh, so you still you know, don't know. Right, as no, of right now. And, and you know, Christmas is in two days. So it's like I need to know if I have this uh if I have this COVID or not. But if I do and this is the extent of the symptoms, it's very livable. It's not, it hasn't even quite gotten up to the level where it's like, there, like there was a, there was probably six hours where I was like, oh boy, I'm about to get really sick. You know that feeling when yeah. you're like teetering on the edge of mm-hmm. like, oh, here it comes. Mm-hmm. But then it never, it never tipped over. It's just, it's just been bouncing along at that like, oh boy, it could, you know, this could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just kind of sitting here waiting. They say, sitting I guess. Sitting pretty, that, as they say. Yeah. They say we're all going to get it. Yeah, I read that th- this morning. But my friend Brian, who runs the fire department uh, COVID response here in Seattle, and, you know, Seattle does a great job, and Brian's been the spearhead of it. Uh, fire department Lieutenant Brian Wallace, if you guys are keeping track at home, you can send him a nice letter because mm-hmm. he's done a wonderful job here. <laughs> But he said to me the other day just exactly what you were saying, which is somehow we've pivoted from measuring hospitalizations to measuring infections. And he said measuring infections is not useful because there could be 700,000 infections, but if nobody's going to the hospital, then, you know, what are we talking about? We're just waving our hands in the air. He said we need to go back to just measuring who's – who needs medical treatment and who's dying. Right. And that's the more effective way of, of talking about what COVID means now going into what year three mm-hmm. year three. And I never thought I would have COVID fatigue um, because like I was supposed to do two shows and they were going to be the first two shows that I did. One of them was supposed to be the week between Christmas and New Year, it was Mike Squires' birthday party, and he Mm. had put together a huge party at Slim's Last Chance Tavern where people were flying in from all across the country. We were putting these bands together. I put a band together with Jason Finn and Mike Squires that uh, back in in the 90s and the 2000s, anytime a group of us would get together for an event, like this where we would learn a half a dozen songs or something, or we would come up with a set, you know, that type of thing. Like, oh, there's a big party. We we need to come up with a set, like four or five songs, because all night long it's going to be a guitar toss and everybody's going to be there and you got to come up with something to do, you know? And there are lots of guys that can get up with anybody and play lead guitar. Mm -hmm. But somebody like me, you know, they're going to put my name on the bill if I agree to do the show. And so, because I'm a singer, I got to come up with some stuff. And we always called ourselves the unrelentless. That was the name of anytime we were, we threw a band together, we were the unrelentless. Nice. And many times, you know, the unrelentless used to include Sean Nelson. It had Aaron Huffman, the bass player of Harvey danger. 
Like a lot of people have been in and out of the unrelentless. But so we put the unrelentless together and we were going to do a set. We were going to play, we were learning covers. We were going to, we were going to cover lump. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. Which is Jason's yeah, band. I mean, Finn right? knows Finn shouldn't be able to play that. Yeah. He's played it before go. a couple times. Yeah. A few times touch and go though. We were going to do flagpole sitter mm-hmm. yeah, because not? Mike and I were both in that band, you know? We were going to cover some other songs by other bands that various of us have played in. We were going to do covers of songs from our own bands, Dan. It was going to be hilarious. One of the greatest unrelentless shows. Mm -hmm. And then just two days ago, Mike canceled the show. He was like, Omicron is, is freaking it out. And so it's all, it's all over. We're not going to do it. We're going to do it sometime next year if we can. And this, you know, posters had been hung up on phone poles. Like this had gone out. It was selling tickets. Like it, this was a, this was a this was a show that was happening. And then I had another show in January down in Los Angeles. Uh, Nabil Ayers' birthday party, which was also going to be a guitar toss, mm-hmm. and it was it was he- being held in some warehouse in Compton. It was this whole weird like art happening. Canceled. Mm-hmm. And I I wasn't even that thrilled about doing these shows because I haven't even been to a show in two years. Like, I'm very ambivalent about rock and roll, about the whole culture. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was like. What was I doing all those years? All those leather jackets and <laughs> people standing around, spitting on the floor. And then as time went on, you know, you get older, nobody smokes cigarettes anymore, but all those leather jackets still smell like smoke. I ordered the other day, Dan, I ordered a, a fabulous furry freak brothers sticker. Cause I've got this new truck and I keep thinking it needs something. It just looks like a truck that's owned by anybody. And for a while, I was looking for license plate surrounds, like vintage license plate surrounds that would say something interesting, but very few of them said anything interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought about getting like an old, like a keep on trucking one. Yeah. But I was like, eh, sort of, that'd be funny, kind of. And then I thought, no, you know what it needs? It needs a fabulous furry Freak Brothers sticker. Mm-hmm. And so I ordered one online. Well, it showed up yesterday in an envelope and I opened the envelope and it smelled like smoke. It smelled like somebody, of course, the person that is putting fabulous furry freak brothers stickers in an envelope is smoking while he's doing it. I thought that was so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, always weird when you get a package and especially if it's like something you bought as opposed to just like some, like your friend sent you, but like you get, and it like has, like you can tell that they've been like smoking. Uh, like, it's like it a thing. Like, I don't have any problem with smoking myself. I don't do it, but like, I don't care if someone does. Like, it, it, people are like, oh, smoking is this. Like, I stay, I don't care. Like, smoke if you no. want to smoke. It's your problem. But smoke them if you got them. Yeah. But like, you get a package and it's like unexpected, it, you know? Like, it's like, oh, like, that's a weird. And then it all of a sudden becomes like, I don't want to order something. Like, even though I know from like selling, like, back in the old days of five by five of like selling t shirts that I would like print myself. And we would get these huge batches of like hundreds or more of these t-shirts that then I would have to like 
either me and like a helper would have to fold them and put them in the envelopes and mail them to people all by hand. Like I did that a lot. And I know that a lot of the stuff that you're ordering, if it's like t-shirts or a, you know, some print, a little art print or something, yeah, people like doing it in their house. Like, you know, that they're doing it in their garage, their spare bedroom, their living room. But like, you don't want to think of it like that. You want to think of it like the way that like Apple sends you something like it's coming from some pristine clean room, you know, with only gloved hand, like the human contact has, is nil. It's like a, a robot arm folding it, putting it in. You don't want to think about the fact that it's like some dude sitting there like smoking his Marlboros, like folding your shirt, putting it in a bag. I don't know why, but like, that's not how you want to think of stuff coming, arriving. Yeah, because you were when you were folding up those five by five T-shirts, you were just standing there wearing a banana hammock <laughs> and a Burger King crown. I mean, I was I, we did it on the dining room table. I was very cognizant that I was shipping something, and I was like, I was touching something yeah. that I was sending out. Like, I, I, I apologize were. to the world karmically for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure people are going to wash it anyway. I hope. But, well, I'm, you know, I'm of the school wash everything. Yeah. We've talked about that. It's, but even you, you always, cause you're, um, you have very sensitive skin and your skin hates itself. Yeah. You got to wash it. You yeah. got to wash it in, in your non scented, non hypoallergenic, uh, not non hypoallergenic, but hypoallergenic dishwasher laundry detergent. Yeah. You got to do all that. Did I ever tell you this story about how, um, I got in trouble with the FAA because of a sweater? No. Okay. So uh, this was, I had gone to WWDC for, uh, for WWDC. What is WWDC? It's the Apple's worldwide developer conference back when we used to have conferences. Oh, sure. And this is when they used to have it at Moscone in San Francisco. And I had, you know, I, I had gone, you know, the, um, WWDC are usually in June. Mm-hmm. And so June, I don't know, you know, if other, if people know this, but that's summertime. And Oh, here in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the beginning of summer. Yeah. yeah. For some places, not in Seattle. It and used to be. Apparently not really for uh, San Francisco much either. No. And so. We don't really have a summer there. Yeah. So, you know, I had some shirts and I think, you know, I was like, I'll be, I'll be fine. It's summer. And it was cold. To me, it was cold. To you, average. To me, cold. And right. I was like, well, you know, I need, to, I need to go get a sweater because it was cold. So I got, I think I was close. I was in the, the area I was in, there is a store that's called H&M. Have I you see. heard of this store? Yes, yes, H&M. It's very popular worldwide. And what they have are what I would call throwaway clothes. It's <laughs> cheap stuff. You wear it a few times and then you donate it because it's already fallen apart and it doesn't look like it used to look and it, it's shrunk and everything else. But I didn't mm-hmm. care. It was cheap. I only needed it for a few days. So I bought a sweater, and of course, a nice black sweater. It wasn't expensive. And so I'm wearing this thing and I felt warmer because the sweater was on my body and now I felt nice. warm. And That's I nice. went and, and so I didn't have room in the suitcase for it. And I also, it was cold. So I was wearing it. And I wore it to the airport to fly home. I didn't think right. anything of it other than the fact that I knew that I was wearing what I would call a contaminated sweater because it hadn't been washed. It was off mm-hmm. the rack on then on 
over the shirt that I was wearing. It wasn't like touching my skin because I'm not insane. No, no, of course, of course. And so I, I go to, um, to, you know, the airport as you do when you're going back somewhere. And I went through the security and they, mm-hmm. I, at the time, because I didn't want my body irradiated by the spinning cancer machine, I wouldn't go through the spinning cancer machine. I would just do the pat down. Now, eventually I got TSA pre, they don't care anymore. And now I would right. probably go through the machine because oh, I don't, you would. Yeah. I don't care anymore about that either. Oh, okay. But back then I didn't like it. So they was in line for the pat down. So they pat me down and when they pat you down, they, they rub a little thing on you. It's like a little, oh. it looks like a little post-it note, but it isn't. They feed yeah. that into a machine and the machine detects bomb making materials. Right. So they rub it all on me and they put it in and it says that I've been in contact with bomb making materials, which wow, I thought was no really funny because um, I wasn't. Yeah. Right. And so then there's like, well, that's all right. You know what? Sometimes it's a false positive on this. We'll do it again. So they did yeah. it again and it came back even stronger positive the second time. Whoa. And they're like, um, you know, we, we're, we're going to need to pull you aside and uh, come into this special room with us. Uh-huh. Like, All right. So I go in the special room. Now, this is back in the days. Now, I follow the John Roderick Mall of, uh, model of airport uh, you know, protocols, which is you get there so that you literally walk directly from TSA onto the plane. Yes. That's how I can. do it now. And yeah, I, this that's is the way to do it. completely modeled after your uh, example. Mm-hmm. But back then I would get to the airport early. Now this was one of those things where I had like a late afternoon flight and the conference was over. Everybody had left already. And I'm like, there's nothing to do. It's not enough time for me to do anything. And I'll just go to the airport. I'll sit there. Maybe I'll get some work done on a laptop, whatever. I, was just, I had plenty of time. So none of this phased me. I felt no stress because I was so, so early that this was actually like an entertainment. This is something for me to do. And yeah, I, right. of course, I knew that I hadn't been making any bombs. Right. So I wasn't worried about any of this at all anyway. It's like, I, I, this is just, obviously it's a mistake. So they, they, they put me in this room and they then they got, they were very serious in the room. There were two people in the room with me and both of them, and they called in like a special, more experienced TSA guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he's got the gloves on. He's like, do I have permission to go through your bag? I'm like, yeah, you can go through whatever you want. Like, okay. And you know, can you open it for us? Okay, sure. Yeah. I'll open it for you. Okay. Can you take this out? Okay. And I took everything out. And you know, I'm a good John. I'm not like bragging or anything, but like I'm a really good packer. And yeah, like sure. on uh, on the return, I don't just like throw stuff into the suitcase. It's all organized. It's in little pouches and containers and stuff. So I'm like, yeah. yeah, have fun with it. They open up everything in there. They go through it. They run back out to the testing machine with stuff. They keep doing stuff. And I'm at this point, I'm just chit chatting with the dudes in there. Like I'm having fun because this is a great, much better than I thought. I was just going to be sitting in a chair for three hours. Yeah, you're learning a lot. Learning about these guys. I'm hanging, you know, having conversations. The one guy's talking about his kids, you know, talking about my kids. We're hanging out. And, uh, and they're like, we're going to need you to wait in the room a little bit. Uh, we have someone who needs to talk to you. Oh. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. So now they bring in a guy. He's got a suit and tie on. And like a, 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 a night, instead of like a little badge, that says Jerry on it. He's got like a, like an actual like lanyard with an mm. ID on it. Looks very official. <laughs> he's serious about all this. He comes in. He's like, oh, I'm going to need to interview you. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. And he asks me these long series of questions. Have you come in contact with this, that, and the other? So they eventually figure out that it's the sweater because they're swabbing me, my diff- different parts. They swab my socks and my hands and my whatever. They figure out it's the sweater. It's the sweater that's causing this false positive. And they're like, what's been going on with your sweater? I'm like, I don't know. I bought it like two days ago. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I just bought it. They're like, oh, you didn't travel with it. I'm like, no, I bought it in the H&M down the street. And they're like, that's causing this false positive. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, you, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, well, I was cold. What was I going to do? I was cold. They're like, well, we understand, but it's that's what's causing the false positive. I'm like, what are you, you're saying that this is that this sweater came from somewhere that was making bombs. They were making bombs adjacent to where they were stitching up the sweater. Like, we don't know, but it is positive for bomb making material. The sweater is. Maybe they, maybe they rinse it in nitroglycerin. (laughs) I don't know. So they're like, don't do that. I'm like, but I was cold. I needed to do it. They're like, well, next time don't do it. They can't say that. They told me not to do it. And you know what else they told me? They said, also don't, if you're going into a hotel, don't use the shampoo in the hotel because it can also test positive. I'm like, well, what hotel am I supposed shampoo. to bring my own shampoo now? Like a, a prima donna, like a, a pillow no, princess? What, or what they're saying is stay in a nicer hotel that doesn't use It was the W Hotel. Shampoo. It was the W. It was really nice. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, but, but it's not like you're, it's not like the shampoo from the W tested positive. They're just saying holiday in shampoo. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. But H&M and don't shop sweaters, at H&M. Yeah, that's right. I think H&M's in other countries are better than H&M's in, in America, but I don't know that for sure. But I agree with you that, they're, that their clothes are not meant for human consumption. I started wondering if maybe it's not all H&M sweaters, but if the one that I got, which looked new, had yeah. actually been purchased, worn in order to make bomb materials, and then returned, restocked oh. on the shelf, and then I inherited it. Interesting. I don't think that many bombs are made in the United States, although I may be wrong. I mean, I'm I'm talking about like homemade bombs. Yeah. We make an awful lot of bombs. I say we bombs. make a lot of bombs, I think. But homemade bombs, you don't see them show up in the news that often. No. I think there are lots of places in the world where homemade bombs are more of a cottage industry. I asked them what it was testing positive for, like what material, and they wouldn't they wouldn't tell me. Of course they wouldn't. <laughs> Although, you know, you've given us a great primer on what they do. Yeah. But yeah, they're not going to tell you what it is because I don't know why. That just seems like that's just one of those dumb things like, sorry, sorry, right. sure, park's closed. Like I think they were, uh, I think they were like, surprised by the fact that I didn't, I thought the whole thing was kind of entertaining. Yeah. And I'm like, I was serious. I was polite and respectful, but at the same time, like it was clearly, I was in a comedy episode. Yeah. That's a great thing about getting to the airport early. If you can, if you can have a whole, you know, go back into a secret room and talk to some lanyards. Yeah. How fun. Yeah. <sighs> I don't, I, I haven't been to an airport now in, well, two years. Yeah, I that was the first time I went, uh, what was it, two weeks ago I had to go to New York. That was the first time that I've flown in probably three or four years. I don't want to go to the airport. That's another thing I don't want to do. Oh, you went to New York. That's right. Oh, you know, I miss going to New York. 
It's the same. And L- L.A., but yeah, it's the same, right? You yeah. get there and it's like, oh, here we are again. Like, oh, look, it's New York City. Look, we got the buildings. Yeah. You've been there enough times that it's like, yeah. I mean. I've been know, to New York enough times a- now that when I go to New York, I'm not like, oh, I, we got to do this thing. It's like, no, nah, I did that. And now I'm just, just going to do the, the meetings and get the to the hotel, hotel and, and get out of yeah, there. Yeah, do the thing, right? And I stayed, the hotel I stayed in was horrible. It was the worst hotel I've ever stayed in. in well, second worst in my life. Whoa. Um, and I, I mean, I, I've stayed in some bad ones, but this yeah. was, can I say what? It, I don't care. It was in a loft. Yeah, it was saying. in a loft hotel and it uh-huh. was in the, um, in the like financial district. Right. And in the Famous past, I'd always hotels. like picked my own hotels and, you know, in New York, everything's super expensive and this hotel was cheap and this is what, the, what we had budgeted for. So like, it's fine. How bad could it be? Right. And and it, I know this is the thing. If you haven't been to New York and traveled in New York and stayed in a hotel in New York, the rooms are are smaller in New York, I think, than anywhere that I've ever been. And that's to be expected. It's New York. Yeah, right. They don't have a lot sense. of you know space. But it was it was literally like three sides of the bed were touching the wall. <laughs> um, it was really <laughs> small. And then you had a small you had a quote unquote desk area which. If if you if you were sitting where your stomach was touching the desk, then the chair wouldn't hit the bed behind mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. But to get out, you kind of had to climb. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the bathroom, quote unquote, was just part of the room, but there was just a shower stall and the shitter in front of it Whoa. and the sink, and that was it. That was the whole room. Dark. Yeah, it was real. And the window, which it did have a window. Just looked out and you, well, you know, those things I get, are they for, are they a water reservoir or something? It looks like a, it looks like a cylinder with like a little thatched roof on top of it and little yeah. stick metal stick legs, like a, a chubby UFO with a thatched roof on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a water tower. Is that what a, those things are doing? What's yeah. in the, who puts the water in there? Well, you know, if you pump the water up into one of those. Then it drains down into the building when you need it. Yeah, and it yeah. gives you water pressure right. in the building without needing there to be pumps that are constantly pumping water. It's gravity handles that for you. Yeah, you just pump it up there once, and then all day long you can have it trickle out. Right, that makes sense. So I, I, yeah. that was it. It was a view of one of those. And it's kind um, of New Yorky. Yeah, it was very New Yorky. Ugh, well, that sounds terrible. You're not missing. It's not like you're missing anything by not being in New York right now. Especially they're like Omicron Central. Oh yeah. All the Broadway shows are closing down because everyone's sick. Everyone's got it. I never went to those anyway. I just like walking the streets and feeling the vibe. But, but if everybody's in masks, (laughs) everyone's in masks, they were angry at each other too. I don't want that. I don't, I, you know, honestly, Dan, I don't know what I want, but I feel like, I feel like I do not want what I haven't got. (laughs) I know that song. It's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say that. Let's just have that be the new mantra. I don't, I do not want what I haven't got. And then I just have to That's focus a Sinead on O'Connor album, right? Isn't That's, that? Yeah. Okay. Right. Sinead. She's still hanging on, isn't she? I think she keeps, she's still she around. She keeps hanging on. Yeah, no, she's out there. She's tearing up pictures of the Pope. She's, she got the she's, Prince song. She's, she's yelling. She's yelling at people. She was yelling about something not very long ago. I forget what it was. She was against something or for something. I don't remember. Years active, 1986 to present. Yeah, to present. Chrysalis Records. 
Yeah, she's got strong opinions about things. I mean, you know, I realized, I realized I don't, I don't have my opinions about things aren't that strong. And like you, know, you she retired and then redacted the retirement. Yeah, that's a thing I refuse to do. Not retire, but ever say the band is breaking up or I'm not doing that anymore. You know, like I, I've never made a public announcement that I'm not doing something anymore. Cause I always feel like that's stupid, you know, just stop doing it. You don't have to make like I, my friend, Eric, who has a band called the fruit bats. He was like, <laughs> I'm done doing the fruit bats. Dave Bazan did this too. I'm done doing Pedro the lion. I'm breaking up the band, put out a press release, even went on a, like a farewell tour last tour of the fruit bats. And then he broke up the, broke up the band and went out and put out a record under his own name and toured around the country, uh, you know, with his Eric Johnson record or whatever. Mm -hmm. And of course, nobody came because who? And went out and for a year or two, I guess, was out there and then put the Fruit Bats back together. Dave Bazan had two, three different bands and then put Pedro the Lion back together. And it's like, well, why even do that? If you want to put out a solo record, do it. You know, the Long Winters never broke up. We haven't played a show in... Five years? No, no, it hasn't been that long. Yeah, no, about five years. But if somebody was like, hey, I'll pay you 10 grand to, to have the long winners get back together and play my birthday party, I'd call up the guys. I'd say, you want to play this person's birthday party? Everybody gets $2,000. Mm-hmm. And most of my bandmates for a long weekend would take $2,000 fly them out from wherever they live, put the band back together, take us a couple of, just two days to get our set back under our feet, play the show. You know, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this publicly on air. If you want to book the long winters, depending on where you live, of course. Yeah. If you, if you live in Auckland, it's going to cost more than 10,000 New Zealand dollars. But who knows? Throw, throw out a number. Because the long winners never broke up. The long winners. Do you need to? I mean, does it? Is it no. inevitable? Is it part of the lifespan of a band that it must break up? Or can? No. Uh, do you have to call it kaput at some point? Or can you just say, you know, we haven't done an album for a while. That's and then and maybe maybe all of the band members eventually get to be 150 years old and pass away through natural causes peacefully in their sleep, and the band is defunct now because they never stop. But like. Do you have to break up? This was the thing about the Beatles. They didn't have to break up. George Harrison could have put out All Things Must Pass. Paul McCartney could have put out Ram. John Lennon could have put out Imagine. And then in 1978, when they all feel differently, they could have put out a Beatles record. Sure. Like, there was no thing that that necessitated that they break up. You just go do your own thing. What's the big deal? The band doesn't, you know, how is the band a, 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 a thing that you have to murder? Right. And I feel that way about every band that breaks up, about every group that breaks up, about, in fact, half the businesses that go out of business. It's like, did you go out of business or did you just stop doing what you were doing? Keep the business. Keep it alive. All you have to do is pay the fee to keep the keep your business license active, mm -hmm. you know, send out every year, send out a Christmas card. Sure. 
Like the only reason you would break up a band is like when Mike Doty broke up soul coughing, it was because he hated those guys and he wanted to end the band. Is that why? Yeah. As a gesture of like, die, die, die. But if you don't, I, 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 hold on. Thing. There's a, I need you to unpack that a little bit because I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. Why would he hate them? What do they do? What did Jason ever do to him? Well, it's like a, um, it's like a thing where, like, if he was they, like, I just hate Jason Finn, I could understand that. But with all of the guys he hated, it's easy. It's easy to hate Jason. I mean, he say he's he calls late at night. He's always, you know, he needs money for gas. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's he's a lovely man. Don't get me wrong. Hands, uh, he's handsome. I'll give him that. He's handsome. I thought you were about to say he's handsy, which he also is. Oh, he is. No, he is. Yeah, he's a little handsy. I mean, I could um, understand like you get, you eventually like stop asking me for gas money. I hate you. And he's like, fine, but you don't break up a band over it. He, he, um, you know, I think he was on, uh, I think Mike Doty was on drugs. Uh, he came, and then he was on drugs. Damn. Like bad ones. Drugs. Yes. He was on drugs. Mm. Um, and I think that, uh, part of being on drugs is that you don't have a very good, you don't have a clear-eyed sense of what's going on. Yeah. And a band dynamic is so fraught and so, you know, so much trouble. And I think it was a thing where he, Mike Doty, was the singer. And, you know, you get locked into roles in a band and then you want to you wanna expand, you want to do other things. I was in a band one time, I was thinking about these guys the other day. And... When I joined the band, I was on drugs. Oh. And they were a band of people that had put themselves together and they were like, we need a singer. And they met me at a party and they were like, you're the, you know, you're the perfect singer. And I was like, wow, it's nice of you to say, you know, and I was, I was thin cause I was kind of strung out and I was cool ish and, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of, you know, whatever, tall and weird. And they were like, you know, this is, you're amazing. So we formed a band called Bugbear. <laughs> and, um, and we got in the practice studio and we, we played all the time. And it was just kind of clear that like the guitar player who had, who was the motivating factor of the, he's the guy that put the band together he was the Jimmy Page. He was the he was yeah, he was the one that was like, I'm a guitarist, I'm writing the tunes, you know, and and uh this is my band. Like mm-hmm. I'm finally ready to like showcase because he'd played in other bands and stuff, and this was gonna be his showcase. Well, nice. we get in there, and after you know, a few months of playing together, it's like, oh, wait a minute, like I am on drugs and I'm a better songwriter and guitar player than you are. And that's a problem because this band is formed around your like chugling, like down to do down to do 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 down to do kind of guitar parts because you want because it's grunge times mm-hmm. and you want to be a grunge band and everybody's got black Les Pauls. But I cannot, with a straight face, stand in front of a band like that. And go, yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't have it. Mm. I don't have those feelings. I do not have yeah, 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 no, no, no feelings. 
I either am going to say yeah or I'm going to say no, but I'm not going to say them both. And I, so I tried to write some songs about coming down the mountain, but I wasn't coming down the mountain. Hmm. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't a junkie. And a lot of bands were the leads. I mean, it's not like I wasn't a drug addict, but I wasn't a junkie. And band singer guys, songwriters that have that relationship with heroin, specifically heroin. Yeah. Where heroin becomes their spouse, their lover, and their and they're like bitch lover, you know, mm. like like a lover that sucks, but also is like your greatest love. And you write songs about it. If you look at the music of Elliot Smith, fully half of his songs are just straight up love songs to heroin. Yeah. And he's telling you about it. He wants you to know all about what his bad relationship. And how bad she is to him, mm -hmm. but also how much he loves her. And then there's all the Kurt Cobain ones and all the, there are just so many musicians that when you look at the songs they write during their heroin years, it's, it's about heroin. And I just did not have that relationship with downers or speedy drugs or anything. I didn't feel like I wanted to tell you about my relationships what I, you know, what I couldn't figure out was my relationships with other people. And right. I, and heroin was not interesting as a, or any drugs. They did not feel like a substitute for love. And so I couldn't, with a straight face, do any of that, like dancing with Mr. Brownstone. Mm-hmm. And that kind of music, down, 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 like you can't get up there and say, I'm really sorry for what I did. I don't understand why it happened the way that it happened. I hope that you can forgive me. I know I'm important to you. You know, yeah, no, no, no. Doesn't happen. That way. And, you know, Eddie Vedder, to his credit, managed to talk about his feelings over the top of that kind of stuff, over the top of those jams. Uh, but he was kind of unique in that way, or at least, you know, unusual in that way. Eddie Vedder's songs are never about dragons. Yeah. And... You know they're about his they're about his hurt feelings and about his dad and about his emotions. Yeah. Well, Aerosmith's fucking songs aren't about their emotions, and either are the Chili Peppers. You know, I mean, a little bit you hear a little bit in there, but it's but. You know, I I challenge you to tell me what Stone Temple Pilots songs are about. <laughs> they're barely. I mean, they're not even grammatical. Mm-mm let alone what they're about or songs by Bush. Like they're just songs about, they're just words that fit anyway. So this band Bugbear, after a while, I, I was like, how about if I pick up a guitar, we got them lying around here. What if I plug in a guitar too? also, 
And then you guys are going doom, 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 and I'm like going down, down, you know, putting some chords in there, getting a little bit of you know shape to the tunes mm-hmm. in the chorus. The guitar comes in, you know, that type of thing. And they were really not into it, oh, because they had it figured out. The guy with the black Les Paul, the other guy, the one dude, you know, the drummer Was with Les the Paul, Les Paul custom. Yeah, that's right. It was a, a nice, it was a with the big, um, the big rectangular frat. You know, you used to be able to find those for, for not that much money, so that you could be a, you could be a grunge band that had these black Les Pauls that now are seven thousand yeah, dollars. Forget back it. Then, you know, you could get them for seven hundred dollars, and it was like, it was reasonable mm-hmm. that you would have that in your band. One time, right after the Rodney King riots, this guy tried to sell me a less black Les Paul custom that was like a 68. Mm. And it was all worn, you know, like all these, it, you know, the, the finish was worn off where the guitar, where the pick had, you know, like just scraped the paint off of it. It was like a one of a kind thing. And this guy was like, hey, man, you know, want to buy the Golden Ann? And he opened this this case, and it was this Les Paul, and he wanted like five hundred bucks, six hundred bucks for it. And I looked at it, and I was like, "Did you? Is this guitar a product of the looting that happened mm. during the Rodney King? You wouldn't, you wouldn't this, want to support that. Is this a looted guitar? And it was. And mm. I was like, you know, this is a very distinctive guitar. Like this is very a noticeable someone's guitar, right? This is not a thing that's like, oh, you stole some new thing from American music. Like this is a, there would be no time in your life when you could stand on stage with this guitar. And if the person that owned it was standing in the room, wouldn't recognize it immediately as their thing. Right. So good luck to you. God bless looter. God bless looter. White, you know, like white junkie dude that <laughs> took advantage of the of the like racial injustice riots. Yeah, nice, nice job. Good, good, good on you. But ended it ended up that Bugbear was a uh, was a bust because I couldn't I couldn't be in the band under the conditions where the music was being made by these other dudes and. I wasn't inspired by it, but I was not welcome to to include some chords into the jams. Right. And in the end, this is the crazy thing. In the end, so I left the band. And it was one of these things where I was like, well, look, I'm on drugs, and that's a full-time job. And getting, you know, just getting to this practice space isn't easy. And singing about like, hey, 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 no, 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 isn't worth it for me to get on the bus and ride for 45 minutes over here to Fremont. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped going to practice. And there was a while, and I didn't have a phone, you know, so there was a while where they would bump into me on the street and be like, dude, where you been? Like, where, you know, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I got to come to practice. Sorry, guys, I just, this week was really weird. And then I just never went back. But at a certain point, their practice space got broken into. And all their guitars got stolen. And this was one of those, one of those formative events for me because, you know, when, when my daughter was born, in the world, in Seattle and in the world, there was a lot of sense 
I got the sense from a lot of people that nobody thought I was going to step up. Because up until that point, I had always just done whatever I wanted and never, you know, like never committed to anything that I didn't like truly want to do. And there was just this kind of like governing sneer on the part of a lot of people, even people I considered my friends, where they were like, you're going to, you're going to bail out of this because being a dad isn't easy Mm. and you're going to, you know, you're going to flake. And I couldn't believe it because I felt like what kind of low opinion, how low an opinion would you have to have about somebody? Yeah. But then I realized something, which is that there are all kinds of men who appear to be mature, very mature. Mm -hmm. They've got all the things. They've got the job. They've got the house, the responsibility. They look good. They talk good. They're mature. But when it comes to fatherhood, suddenly they it's a blind spot. And it turns out they're completely immature. They can't sacrifice their own, uh, you know, pettiness. They can't, you know, they're babies, they're overgrown babies. Why should they have to stay up all night? Mm. You know, they, they fall back on gender roles. They're like, that's not my problem. They don't realize you got to support the mom. The mom is like the whole game. Mom does all the work. There's nothing you can do about that. You got to support her. And that just means make her life as easy as possible. That's not a sacrifice. That's just like a dumb thing. That's the basics. Right. And then there are people like me that appear to be very immature at 40 years old. Never really did anything that didn't, you know, that he didn't want to up all night Somebody calls and says, come to California. He just goes. You're like, where, where are you? Oh, I'm in New York. How, why? You didn't even tell me. Oh, well, uh, duh. I seemed very immature. Sure. But when it came to being a father, it doesn't even feel like maturity. It just feels like, well, of course I'm going to be there every minute. You can't not. What are you going to do? Not? You're going to no, flake out? To, you have to. Yeah, what? You need a sandwich right now? Are you going to give me a break? Get everybody else a sandwich first. Well, this was so anyway, so I was extremely offended by my by my culture here in underestimating that when that yeah, I only do what I want because what the fuck? Like why would I not? As long as I could. What you you're doing something that you don't want? What is that? That doesn't make you mature. No. That just makes you a fucking ding dong that's doing whatever somebody else wants you to do. Right. But when your kid shows up, well, sure. You do what needs to be done all the way. You go the whole distance, right? You don't stop at a certain point and go, my feet hurt. Mm-mm. Well, this was a situation like that. These guys got their band shit broken into and all their stuff stolen. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out who did it. And they think, hey, wait a minute. Roderick's a drug addict. Oh, right, right. 
he knows the practice space and all this stuff. And so they thought that I had orchestrated a burglary upon them Mm. and stolen all their stuff. And they couldn't prove it. And they didn't tell me. They just spent like two years believing that I had ripped them off. Did they ever confront you about it or ask you about it or say anything about it? Well, I was oblivious because I was off, you know, getting high and I didn't see those guys. Hmm. You know, every once in a while I'd see them and they'd give me the stink eye. And I thought the stink eye was because I'd stopped coming to practice. I mean, it would track. That makes sense. And I'm sure they were talking shit about me everywhere they went. But I didn't hear. Well, so then one of them is at the Midway Swap Meet two years later and walking around looking at at motorcycle carburetors or whatever you get at a, at a swap meet. Mm-hmm. And they come upon this guy who's selling all their guitars. Well, they call the cops. The cops come bust the guy and the guy's like, oh, it wasn't me. And he eventually points the finger at one of their best bros who also was a drug addict, but he was like Mr. Friendly, Mr. Cool, their tight bro who remained their tight bro and just ripped them off and stole and sold all their shit and took the money and did Um, the drugs. Right. And when they confronted him, he hung himself in the bathroom the following day. Really? And so at a certain point, I'm standing at a party. I'm oblivious to all this, just standing at a party, derp, 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 derp. And these guys are there. And they walk over and apropos of nothing, tell me this whole story. Oh, yeah, we thought you ripped us off. But it turned out it was Blake or whatever. And, you know, we found the stuff at the swap meet and he killed himself and all this stuff. And I was just like, wait, you thought it was me? (laughs) You thought that I... And, you know, and believe me, I was like desolate, blown out, yeah. right? I didn't have any money. I was, but, but that was what I was doing. That was my life. It wasn't anybody's fault. I wasn't owed anything. I wasn't going to steal. Who steals? You know, the only reason you steal is you think you're owed something. You think something about life is unfair and that you're entitled to these things that you didn't that you that you don't own because there's some justice that you think you're due. And so whoever owns these things, they're going to be fine. You need this stuff more than they do. And that means, and that somehow you're entitled to it by, by some calculation, either that or you're like absolutely absent of any internal ethic or code. Sure. None of that was true of me. I'm not entitled to anything. I don't, I'm not, you know, there's no justice in the world, but that doesn't mean that I'm owed anything. There's no justice in the world. Full stop. That, how are you entitled? No. From that, you're not. No. That's a thing you accept at a certain point in life. You go, oh, this is another thing to accept. I only have two legs. I don't have three. Well, I'm not sad about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a third leg would, well, no, no. not to Hang say on. a third leg, Hang but on. let's say a third arm, a third arm would help me a lot. I could be playing guitar and holding on to the mic stand. 
it's not a thing that it's not a thing. You don't get it. And I was so offended by this. These were people I was in a band with this, this complete misjudgment Mm -hmm. of something that I consider to be very basic. Like if you can't tell your scumbags apart, right? Like this is a scumbag that would rip us off. And this is a scumbag that would never rip us off. Like I was a dirtbag beyond belief, but not the kind that would rip you off. And there are people that are in a suit and tie that come drive up in a fancy car that will rip you off all day. Sure. Like you can't judge a person just because they're a dirtbag. No. And there are just a few moments in life where I feel like that, and I think there are probably a lot more than I know where somebody in the world said, oh, Roderick, you can't, you can't blank. You can't trust him with your motorcycle or you can't, you know, you, you can't rely on him. There are probably a lot more of those than I know. But it's that type of thing that, you know, the number of dads that I've seen in the last 10 years that have flaked out on their family that looked on paper like a way better dad than, than I was going to look like or than I looked like when, when my daughter was born. And where are those dads now? You know, they fucked off. They got a new wife or whatever. Or they just moved on. They had their own, they were out for themselves. And, and there's a thing, there's part of me that's still pissed off. That'll always be pissed off at those people. Just like I'm always pissed off at my old band. Where I was like, if you thought, if you thought I was going to rip you off, if you thought I did rip you off, then I'll never, then I don't trust you. 